I'm sure I do. <laughs> okay, so we introduced the Seder last week, and we, we mentioned the idea that Seder is, means order, and it's specifically set up in right, this particular order. This particular order that our sages have set in terms of the Seder is there to tell its own story. Right, the this recurring theme, and we're actually we got up to Magid, right, the part where we actually give the story over, right. The theme of Pesach is to tell the story. So the seder and the the items that we use that we use on the seder plate also tell a story. And we went through the items that we used in the on the seder plate, and we went through the first um, four steps. Of the of the 15, right of the of the seder, and we mentioned just because I know there's uh, some new faces, right? We mentioned that these 15 steps correspond to anyone remember? What was the 15? Oh, the um, temp- the steps. The 15 the steps of the temple, and also the yeah. very good, and also you weren't here last week. <laughs> okay, the 15 right shir hamalot, the 15 prakim in in Tehillim that start with shir hamalot, the song of ascent. So the the steps of the seder are actually taking us somewhere. They're taking us to a higher spiritual place. They're supposed to be taking us from. Galut, right, from the exile into the, the Geula, the redemption. Um, so we ended uh, last week, we ended with Yachat, right? That, is that what you have marked on your papers? So Yachat, right, well, I'll just overview real quickly. Kadesh is the, and many people start off the Seder by singing, right? They have a tune. I don't, I don't remember the Ashkenaz one. I used to do my Seder, my grandparents, my mother's parents are Ashkenaz, and I grew up with an Ashkenaz Seder. And then my dad, once, when my grandparents passed away, then my dad said, okay, well, but I'll run it, but I'm doing it my way, um, which is the Sephardic way. And now I don't recall the Ashkenaz tune, if someone remembers, you know, what, what is it? Oh, it's the same one. Yeah, it's the same one. Okay. Right, so we have something in common. Okay. <laughs> um, so, right, we customarily sing it, and it's like, I don't know, that's like, I don't, for me, that's like, I just love starting off this, that, that tune is, uh, I don't know, I guess it brings me back to, uh, to old good memories. So Kadesh is Kiddush, where we start every holiday with Kiddush. Orchat, uh, we wash our hands right before we are about to eat the vegetable, which is Karpas, and then we have Yachat. So Yachat, we said, is the three, we have three masas on, the, on our Seder table. Sometimes it's part of the Seder plate, sometimes it's not part of the Seder plate. We said, right, two we always have for the holidays. We have Lecha Mishnah. We have two, two uh, loaves of bread when it's a holiday because we can't carry from a, uh, right, we, all, everything that we needed we had uh, prepared from before the holidays. We had two loaves. And then um, the middle matzah we break. Also, I don't know if I mentioned last time, but the three matzah represents something. Does anyone remember? Okay, amazing, right? It represents Kohen Levi Yisrael, and which also happens to correspond to the three Avot. Okay, and it actually it says Avraham. It actually is, called, is referred to as the Kohen, as a Kohen. Um, I mean, I'm not going to get into the reasons why Yitzchak is compared to Levi and Yaakov. His other name is Yisrael. Um, so it corresponds to the to the patriarchs. And um, 
the, we break the middle matzah, right? The, and I, I spoke about it last time. I'm not going to get into it now. But we break the middle matzah. We take the bigger part and we put it away for later. We have it for, for dessert, right? For the, the afikomen. Actually, I actually just learned this past week that anyone know where the word afikomen comes from? What it means? So apparently it's a Greek word for... The Greek word is epic. I think it's epicumen. So, and it means dessert. <laughs> Okay, so that's what afikomen means. I didn't, I didn't know that until now. Um, and we set, we tell the story of right of the of of our exodus over the, the broken smaller matzah. So let's talk about magid. We're up to magid. So magid comes from the word lehagid, right? It's also the uh, the word that, that the same root as the hagadah. What does lehagid mean? To tell. Now, there are other words that convey telling something or saying something, right? What other words are there? Lomar, right? Lemor, what? Lisaper, right? Sipur is to tell. Lidaber, okay, to speak. So, what's significant about lehagid? Any ideas? Anyone, any, you guys might know if you remember from our first uh, class. Okay, so lehagid. When we say lagid, remember, where else do we see the word gid in the Torah? Gid hanashe. So what's the gid hanashe? The gid hanashe is the, how do we say that? Um, the, the, um, it's the part, right, when, when uh, Yaakov was, when Jacob was wrestling with Esav, right, he was hit in the gid hanashe, and I, I don't know why, how do you say that in English? I don't know why it's, just, uh, um, I don't know why it's escaping me. No, I, um, I don't know what, it's, Okay, forgive me. I will. We'll remember. Yeah, it will come to me. It will come to me. But a gid is a sinew, right? It's something that's very tough. So when we have the word lahagid, so it actually, right, the connotation is that we're focusing on details. We're focusing on exactitudes. So when we, the reason why we use the term magid or hagadah is because. We want to go through the details of the story and the details of us being taken out. Yes, gid is, sin, is a sinew, which means which which is tough. Okay, it's a very oh, so it's tough to okay. so the the connotation of the right. word right. We I don't know if you remember, but right, we said like amira is what our sages say is a soft lashon. It's a soft language. Uh-huh. And lahagid is much more a tough way of, you know, it's a different connotation, a different way of saying something, where you're stressing other more, you know, whether it's punishment or exactitudes, right? You're, you're stressing a, a, a different element in the way that you speak. It's like when we're talking about the difference between men and women. Exactly, exactly. Now, the other name that relates to this when we're talking about um, magid, right, this stage in, in, our, in our ascension, <laughs> is the word Pesach, okay? What Pesach can be broken down into two words, right? Pe and Sach. Pe is a mouth, and Sach is that speaks or tells. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I was able to focus. (laughs) So, right, the mouth that speaks. So, right, the whole, again, it encapsulates one of the whole main ideas of the, of, of the holiday, which is to tell over the details, to tell over the story, compared with 
par o, right? Is that so? Our sages point out that if you break down his name, it can be broken down into pe ra. Okay, right? The mouth that is evil. Okay, right? The the speech, and there's a lot to say about just the topic of speech, which we're not going to get into now. But speech has the capability of building or destroying. So on Pesach, what we're doing is we want to be able to use our speech to give over the story so that we can build our sense of self, connect to something, to connect to our previous generations, connect to our past so we understand who we are. And we do that through the mouth. And that's why Magid is actually the longest section in the, in the Haggadah. This is, this is the meat and the potatoes, right? This is where we're really spending the bulk of our time. Now... Um, Okay, so basically, what are we? There's there's two main ideas that we're covering in in Magid, two uh, two parallel stories or two over overlapping stories because they speak we speak about it in the in the structure of the Haggadah in in uh, right it overlaps a little bit. One is the, obviously the story of coming out of Egypt, right? The story of our Exodus, but there's another right almost like a further backdrop to that story. What do we talk about? We talk about where we came from. Right? And it says that we are the children of idol worshippers. Right? Who, who are we the children of? We're the children of Avraham Avinu. And Avraham Avinu came from idol worshippers. So we talk about where we came from, not just, I guess, maybe more recent history, if you want to refer to the Exodus as more recent history, right? but even farther, farther back. And a nice thing that we, if you can, and I don't know, how many of you are uh, like running your family, are any of you like running your family seders or everyone's, everyone's covered, everyone's taking, having it taken care of? My, 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 when I was growing up, so someone was always running the seder, but it was done in like a very um, like methodical, like following every single, you know, like let's go through every, every single word. And there was very little creativity or adding in your own personal elements or twists. And the truth is, this is the, in, certainly in, in Maggie, this is the place where you have the opportunity to add in your own stories and make it personal and make it real. And if you have children at the, at the Seder, like, like under teenager and under? <laughs> yeah? Okay, what? Like two or three. Two or three. Do you have siblings that are yet? No, cousins. Cousins, okay. So really, you'll, I'm sure you've, you're familiar, you've heard that the Seder is really for the children, right? It's all about giving it over to the children. In, and by the way, we're children also. You know, there's always the, the child in us that we also want to nurture and educate. But right, we want to be able to reinforce those ideas, not just where we came from way back when, but even our grandparents, our great-great-grandparents, maybe their stories, and it's a nice thing to even ask your parents, you know, Tell me stories about what they did. It doesn't have to be just for Pesach. It could be. It could be connected to Pesach. But in general, like, what was Jewish life like here, you know, wherever you're from? Europe, you know, uh, Germany or Morocco or wherever, wherever your family came from. Because those stories are what enrich our connection to where we come from. And the whole point, right, the, the purpose of, of Magid is to really reinforce for us, it's to reinforce the emunah, the, the faith, and the belief that this is where we came from. And God took us out of this 
hot mess that we were in in Egypt. And he did it for us throughout history. It wasn't only here. And it wasn't only what my grandparents faced in the Holocaust. It, when it was, it's what, whatever I'm going through now also, right, to reinforce that emunah, that he is, he is with us and he's going to, to continue to be with us. Okay. Um, so, right, this is really what we're doing is we're marking our, and Rosh Chodesh Nisan, those of you saw my little post on before Shabbat, right? So that's actually the mark of our birthday, so to speak, as a nation. That's really what the Exodus is. And this is our way of saying, you know what? Yeah, even, we've mentioned the Kostal Eliyahu last week about, yeah, there might be questions. I, don't, I can't necessarily personally tell you every single link in the chain back to, back to the Exodus. But even with those question marks, Right? I still, I'm still able to tell you this is where we came from. My husband was on a, had a Shabbaton this past week, and Rabbi Tversky, I forgot his first name now. Maybe, no, no, no. He's in Brooklyn. I think it's Mordechai, but I'm not sure. It's Mordechai, right? He's not, he, has a, he has a shul on K and 29th. He's a very, very special person. He's, uh, I forgot which, I think it's with an H. I forgot what he's... Uh, some type of chassid with an H, but I don't remember what it's called exactly. Um, now the Tversky's, he opened up, my husband brought a group of 50 students there, and he opened up on his dining table a six-foot scroll that has every single person from his grandfather to Adam Harishon. He has every single person listed, that one generation to the next generation. He has, and this is everyone, I mean, this is a known thing with the Tversky's. I actually heard Aliza Bulo say it about Tversky in, in Denver. So everybody, like the Tversky's have this. But he actually opens up. My husband said, you have no idea what it's like to see something like this, like where you can actually trace back your, your ancestry all the way back to Adam. So cool, so cool. So but we have, oh isn't that amazing? Yeah. So, <laughs> I, they, he has this, like, they, this is a family, like, this is, it was passed down, this is a family, and it, he, my husband said, it's literally, it's like opening up a Megillah, like, it's like a scroll, like, literally, uh, six feet, it's amazing, and, and, by the way, it's not just, oh, like, Ben Achar Ben, like, father and son, it's who they were married to, the children, like, I mean, I don't know how, like, I don't know how, I, I didn't see it, so, but my husband was amazed. He's like, it was, it was so cool, oh so cool. Um, we have a family tree. My mother actually did it for my grandparents when they, were, when they were still living. And so on their side we have, but it's not that extensive at all. And, you know, we have one, whatever, it's interesting. Family, it's a good project. It's a very interesting mm -hmm. project, and it's something, you know, that is worthwhile to do when you're younger and you you have access to your grand, you know, you have your grandparents or great grandparents, and you can really gather more information. It's a really, really beautiful, special project. Okay, the next step is rachta, okay, to wash. So this is a different. It's the same technical washing that we did last time, but last time when we washed, we didn't say a blessing, right? We didn't make the bracha of al natilat yadaim. Now, right, we are going to make the bracha of al natilat yadaim. So. Um, why are, we, why are we washing our hands? So I'm not going to... I think we mentioned this idea beforehand. So apart from the halachic need to wash our hands because we wash before we eat bread, washing is uh, right, symbolic of preparing our hands for the 
holy activities that we're about to be involved in throughout the evening. Um, it's, Pesach is a very unique and special holiday in the sense that we are able to fulfill two mitzvot that are da'oraita, that are from the Torah. Anyone know what the two da'oraita mitzvot are of Pesach? Mitzvot from the Torah? Well, we can't do the Korban Pesach. So one is to eat matzah, right? So that's what we're about to prepare for now. And the second is Haggadah. Right? We say, right, right, we're supposed to tell, right, to your, to your children. We have to tell the story. So, um, uh, right, so we're about to embark on a holy endeavor. Um, and, by the way, people also sometimes will, you know, before tefillah, before they dive in, they'll wash, they're about to, right, they're, even if you didn't necessarily touch your shoes or something that would, you know, that you would need to, but because they're about to enter into, like, a holy work, so to speak, um, and this is what the Kohan and this is the priest did in the time of the temple as well. So, um, okay, then we have motzi, um, which is where the, the bread, okay? Now, matzah is probably, you know, if we have one symbol of the Seder, it's probably matzah, right? That's, that's, what, that's, what, that's what comes to mind. And we said eating the matzah fulfills a mitzvah, a mitzvah from the Torah, now, tonight, or tonight, not tonight, but for next week, I still can't believe it's next week, not nowhere near, but we'll get there. Um, so next week, um, it's going to fulfill two roles, okay? It's going to fulfill the role of being the bread that we're going to eat on, uh, on the holiday, so the bread for the Shabbat, for the, well, it was Shabbat and the holiday, the Shabbat and the holiday meal, which, by the way, interestingly, is anyone Sephardic here? No one's Sephardic. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. So, right for us, matzah is not hamotzi <coughs> during the year, right? During the year, we make mm-hmm. mizonot on matzah. Mm-hmm. It's only a cracker, right? So I've gone to Ashkenazi homes, and for shalshita, they'll take out, you know, two matzahs and wash on it, and I'm just making a mizonot, which is fine with me, you know. They like feel that. I'm like, no, yeah, we're we're lucky. Technically, you could say the on it. I'm not sure though. I mean, if you're eating, uh, I guess, a, like a lot, like any time you're eating a lot of mizonot, then you can wash and bench. Actually, it's a very funny story. My, my sister-in-law's father was the principal of a high school in, in Brooklyn, a yeshiva in Brooklyn, that, and it's a, a Sephardic school, and a lot of the kids tend to go into business. So one of the rules, all the Sephardic schools have this in the handbook. I've never seen this in Ashkenaz school. Like, the handbook of rules is like, you're not allowed to buy or sell in the school, okay? I just think it's like part of, it's like in their blood, okay? So, yeah, okay. So, um, this kid, right, was found by the principal with like, I don't know, like 75 donuts, okay? So, the, uh, her father-in-law, my, my husband, the, the principal, okay, finds him and says, oh, you, you have donuts, and what are you planning on doing with them? So he's like, oh, Rabbi, I'm, I'm eating them. Like, this is, this is for me. He's like, oh, you want to, he's like, come, come. Calls him to his office. He's like, go, you're going to eat. He starts to make him his own oat, and he's like, no, you're, you're, you're going to have this many donuts? Go, you go wash. Okay. <laughs> he literally had him go wash. 
He sat down and he started to eat the donut. Okay? He's in the middle, he's like, hold on, let me, I'm going to get you a cup of milk. One second. God, he played along the whole time. Okay? After eight donuts, he's like, I'm sorry, Rabbi, I'm not going to sell them anymore. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you do wash at a certain point <laughs> when you know you're going to have that much. Okay. So, um, Right, so they serve two functions. Right, one is right that it is now the it's the 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 uh, the lecha mishnah, right, and also um, it's serving the role of matzah, right, the fulfilling the role of having matzah on this night. Now, when we it's interesting this blessing that we make of hamotzi, and girls, if you remember this from our class, then you know just you'll hear it again, bear, bear with me, right? When we make the, the blessing of hamotzi, so the words are hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. And it's the, the language is actually a funny language because what are we saying? That he, hamotzi, the one who takes out lechem, bread, min from ha'aretz, the land. Now, I mean, I've gone to plenty of, you know, orchards and, you know, farms and, there's no bread trees, you know, that I've come across. So the idea, what's, 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 why do we say those words, hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz, that we t- take the bread, right, from the land, right? We don't take bread from the land. There's a lot of steps in that process, right? The first 11 milachot, the first 11, uh, you know, forbidden categories of, of work on Shabbat are actually the steps in making bread, Okay, all the way right from, you know, planting to, uh, you know, putting, baking, to putting it in the oven. So what we're, what we're saying is we're reinforcing the idea that nothing happens in this world without the will of God. Okay, even the bread where I think, of course, I'm the one who, I'm planting the seed, I'm, you know, plowing the land, I'm separating the wheat from the chaff, I'm grinding it into flour, I'm kneading the dough, I'm putting, right, it's, it seems like it's me, but it's really not, right? Nothing happens without the stamp of approval of God. Okay, um, then we have matzah. So, um, when we make the bracha of matzah, and I'm so frustrated because I looked for about a half an hour for this, I have this um, like laminated card that shows the, the amounts of what you would need for those of you that want to make sure that you're having, you know, the, there's a, actually a, a massive amount, okay, that you're supposed to eat in order to fulfill halachically, right, according to Jewish law, the, the, the amounts that you're supposed to eat, of whether it's matzah or maror. Um, and I pulled it out, and I somehow left it on my dining table. Um, but it's about two, for matzah, it's about two-thirds of, like, those big circles, which is kind of really big. If you're Sephardic and you're having the soft ones, as you have the soft, the soft matzahs, no? Mm, yeah, yeah. You should get them. Yeah. It's worth it. Um, because they're more dense, so you don't have to have that much. Gesundheit. <coughs> it's a lot easier to eat, and it's really yummy. Anyone should get them if you can. <laughs> um, so, it, but I don't remember the, the, I don't know if it's by ounces. I don't remember exactly what the, what the amount is. Um, but we, um, we break off a piece from, from, the, from the matzah that's on the table, but we'll supplement it. Obviously, we won't have enough to, for that, the proper amount to feed our entire table. So we'll, we'll make the bracha on the, on the amount of matzah that we need to have. 
and, uh, and, and supplement it. So that's what we're doing, okay, in, uh, in the, for matzah. When we are eating, we can't forget when we're eating the matzah, just like when we have the wine, we're supposed to be leaning to our left, okay, also with the matzah. So what's the story with the matzah? If we're talking about matzah, I just want to at least mention chametz, okay? We didn't talk about chametz at all. So there's this idea that chametz represents the yetzer hara, the evil inclination, if you will, okay? Or the drive for the, for the physical material world. And specifically, ga'ava or arrogance. Now, uh, the yeast that's in the bread, we know matzah is made out of only two ingredients. What's it made out of? Water and flour. Water and flour. Nothing else. No salt, nothing. Actually, Rabbi Tversky, who pulled out the scroll, so he opens up in his shul, the used to be for two weeks before Pesach, but this year he's only doing it the week before Pesach. Um, he turns his shul into a matzah baking factory. And um, we would go every year, as I teach in a seminary in Brooklyn, we'd go every year and we would make matzahs there. And uh, it was, uh, I would actually see, he, he would always knead the dough, and then, you know, he had rollers, and it's actually a really fun experience. Have any of you made, made masa before? It's really, it's, it's a, actually great, we did it. Okay, but I mean, like, in, like, a real, that's probably not, not like, this is actually kosher le Pesach masa, like, you can. That's what we did also. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Like, okay, right cool. before we were I mean, my kids would do it in school, but I know it's not, like. I don't remember. It was second right. So, um, right, if you're on this, like, timer, everything has to be done within 18 minutes, and every, he's, you know, we say, like, constantly, right, he said you want to have, you know, proper thoughts, and we should say, we say, l'shem matzot mitzvah, right, these, these matzot are for a mitzvah, and we're doing this for the mitzvah, and he, you know, he really makes the whole experience come, come alive. So, um, what is it that makes the, the matzah, not the matzah, but the bread, when we have bread, what is it that makes it rise? The yeast, right? So the yeast, what's, yeast is really a bacteria, right? It's just a bacteria that, make, that makes the bread rise. So what does, it mean, what, what does that represent in terms of the yetzahara or gava, the, the idea of, of arrogance? So in us, the positive effect that yeast can have is that it, it, it puffs us up. It gives us the confidence and pushes us to do and to grow and to accomplish. But the... the, the potential, right, setback, the potential, right, uh, default setting that could happen, and that is that it gives you a, an inflated sense of self, where now you feel like, oh, yeah, I could, I should be able to do better than this person, or do better than, do, you know, do better than that. It gives you a sense of, of uh, you know, an overdeveloped sense of importance. So when someone is arrogant, instead of the yeast, so to speak, instead of the, that yearning and that desire pushing them to want to connect with God, instead, right, it will, it will push them to feel like they want to be greater than others, right? It's, it's pushed, it's, it's, it's just misplaced. It's misplaced, put in the wrong direction. We know that Avraham Avinu served matzah to his guests, right? Are you familiar with the story? Right, he said there were these. Uh, he had visitors, and it was the springtime, and he served matzah to his guests. Now, obviously, he wasn't commemorating uh, Yitziat Mitzrayim. Right, we didn't leave Egypt at this. We wasn't. We didn't have the Exodus. So, what was what was he doing? What was he tapping into? 
he understood, and by the way, Lot did this also in Sodom, okay? He also served matzah to his guests. So they understood that it's spring, which in our holiday, right, always has to fall in the spring, which is why we sometimes have a leap year to shift the, 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 uh, the season, to make sure that our, our, our holidays are aligned with the proper season. And this, one of the names for Pesach is actually Chag Ha'aviv, right, the, the, the holiday of the spring. So they understood, Avraham and Lot understood, that in the spring, right, you feel this rejuvenation and this renewal because everything's blossoming and it looks like there's potential for something new and something bigger and something greater. But they saw that. And for me, I feel totally rejuvenated in the spring. These, uh, this weather has been a little bit of a setback, but tomorrow's going to be better <laughs> the rest of the week. But right, when, we, when we come into spring, right, we see like God's hand in nature. They saw God behind the Chag Ha'aviv, behind the spring. So Avraham didn't have poor self-esteem. It wasn't like he had like a lack of self-confidence. Rather, he saw God's handiwork in the world, and as a natural consequence of that, right, the natural outcome of that was humility in God's greatness and in God's glory. So when we talk about matzah, right, matzah is a flat bread. Right, we call it lechem oni. Right? Oni actually can be translated, it has many different uh, understandings and many di- different ways of, of, of many meanings behind it. Most, what, anyone, what's lechem oni? Okay, poor man's bread. Anything else? Oh, that's interesting. So ani is with an aleph, and this is with an ayin. So um, oni is like is, is a poor person. It's I also guess. yes. Avon, does it have something to do with that? With what? I didn't hear. Avon. Avon. It's so interesting. I actually thought of that today, but I don't know. I've never heard. I of don't that know. I was thinking that, and I but that I I don't know. I didn't see it anywhere, but it could be that it's related. So it's also called the bread of affliction, right? It's uh, our, of our suffering, right? Oni is is suffering, but it also comes from. I also heard this uh, last week from La'anot. To torture? No, that to would answer? be related to suffering. To answer, right? We say La'anot, that's a telephone, to answer the telephone if you're in Israel and you're hearing someone, right? Answer the telephone. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, right, what, what was it answering? So it was the answering our prayers, right? To, it's the bread that, that, that represents the answer for our prayers, that we were able to get out, to get out of whatever restrictions, Mitzrayim, which is right, a place of restriction, Mitzar, Tsar is narrow, restriction, right, to get out of that. And it's a symbol of humility. Without the yeast, right, the flat bread is a symbol of humility. So when we, were, when we remember the miracles, we're humbled right, by, by, by the whole experience. When you think about it, Hashem, Hashem could have taken us out of Egypt however he wanted. What do we need ten plagues for? What do he need? He needed to wait for Paro to, like, come along, you know, come around and, you know, say, okay, leave. He could have done anything. But then no one would have believed, even after all these ten plagues and all these miracles he did, everyone's complaining, you know? Well, that's, that wasn't enough. You mean in the, in the desert we were complaining, you're saying? Always. 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 We do. We tend to complain. <laughs> Not enough of these ten miracles. You'd think that would have convinced everyone, but no. But no. So the idea that you mentioned is, right, the whole idea is to build emunah, to build faith in God, not just among the Jewish people, but even the, for the rest of the world. This was like, 
the biggest uh, you know, public debut that, that Hashem has put out for himself. And it was quite uh, a show. So right, this, the, the whole process was humbling. Okay? And the matzah reminds us that we should be humbled in the, in the greatness of, of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of, of, of the Almighty. Okay, then we have Maror. So Maror, um, many people have different customs. Some people use horseradish. I definitely grew up, they only had horseradish. Only when I came back from Israel and I said, hey, we don't have to have the horseradish. We could have romaine lettuce, you know? And they're like, called me a cheater. And, you know, I'm like, no, I'm telling you, it's okay. So, um... We can use, um, it's definitely easier if you want to have the, you know, um, the halachic measurements, the, you know, the measurement that, that is mandated by, by Torah, you know, not by Torah law, but I guess that the rabbis have established of what the, the minimum amount is. So it's definitely easier to do that on lettuce than it is on um, horseradish. I believe, again, from memory, I believe it's, let's say, about, like, Probably like one big leaf is probably enough, but like on the laminated sheet that I had, it was like about the size of a sheet of paper. That's really what it what, what it was about. And again, when you have the the stalk part, which is thicker, so that it's okay because it's thicker, so that already you know it's, it doesn't have to be like you know what I'm saying. Like if you would spread that out, it would be the uh, it would um, you know it would it would be the proper amount. So we mentioned why is Roman, I think we said this before, because when we spoke about the Seder plate, but we said lettuce is, what's the connection to bitterness? Do you remember? The stem part. Right, the stem is actually actually a little more bitter. When you, the top is kind of somewhat tasteless, you know, or maybe a little sweet even. But when you get lower, right, onto the white part, it does get a little bit bitter. Now we do actually dip the lettuce, and I imagine with the horseradish also, if you're using the horseradish, and a little bit of the haroset. We don't, at this stage, right, we want to be able to mix a little bit. It shouldn't be dripping in haroset, but it can be, right, dipped in, uh, in, in haroset. I guess you wouldn't be dripping. I, Sephardim, I infused date syrup, right, so it could actually mm-hmm. be dripping. It wouldn't be dripping if it was uh, the apple nut mixture. Um... Okay, and we make the blessing of achilat al achilat maror. Okay, we make the blessing and we do not lean. Okay, we do not lean when we're eating the maror because leaning is a sign of, right, royalty and privilege. And when we're eating maror, right, that's not the experience that we're that we're aiming for. Yeah, what do you want to ask? Yeah, so the the leaning is the idea of like being free and, you know, royal and we're like, you know, we're, we're, we're really celebrating to the utmost. There's actually, and, I, and it's brought down that on pa- Passover we should have our finest china, right? We should have the best dishes out. And uh, um, historically, interestingly, I heard in a, in a class, people, you know, people didn't have, you know, so many sets of dishes where they were storing them. Oh, I have like a, a Pesach dishes for meat and for dairy and a set of pots and silver and everything. Like, where were people, think about it, like people didn't live the way we live in America with store, you know, storage. Think about a Manhattan apartment, but like with, you know, 10 kids. <laughs> um, you know, where are you putting all of that? So people, 
Um, and they, they, not just where are they storing it, but they couldn't afford it, right? People, not always, we were in a time in, in, in history where we had the, the, the wealth that, we, that we're privileged to have today. So, um, so I heard that people would actually buy china to, that was not kosher, like from a store that was used to put it on display, like an ornament, right? Kind of like decorations, basically, because they wanted to fulfill this, this, this idea of really making Passover beautiful and celebrating with your, with your, your best china, your most you know, uh, beautiful and elaborate decoration that you possibly could. So people would put it out, not on the table if it wasn't kosher, but as like decoration, right? It's a way of honoring the holiday. So anything that we do to honor the holiday, something that I like to do, which is not necessarily beautiful, but is more fun, um, you know, if we're talking about gearing it for the children. So um, almost every year, I think maybe just the year I gave birth, I didn't, when I gave, Judah was born like a few days before Pesach, um, we make our dining room into um, the Yamsuf, into the, uh, the sea. Okay, oh, we make it like the splitting of the seed. The splitting, well, I don't have two. I just put on all walls. I just have oh, the tablecloths. Wow. We're in the middle. So uh, we're like, we take it. I mean I, I mean, I am the most uncreative person you could ever come across. <laughs> but um, I actually just bought a dark blue tablecloth and a light blue tablecloth. Plastic ones, you know, from, you know, like the 99 cent store. And we, I make like a... Uh, waves, like just like cut it, you know, like in, uh, I don't even know what you call that, I guess like a wave looking thing. And we post it, you know, we hang it up all around the dining room. It's the only time of year my dining room becomes blue. And my kids would make lolly, they would paint faces on lollipops and hang them. And uh, would be either they would make ha- like smiley faces, which were the Jews, or they would make mean faces, were like were like upside down, like the meat stream being drowned drowned in the in the water. Um, so you know you want to just decorate it, make it fun, make it real. Anything that anything that you can do to enhance and bring out the feeling of the holiday is 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 an amazing experience. I saw on Facebook a picture of like a table and you know a place on either side with um, like tablecloths on one side and like. On either side, a blue tablecloth, and you see actual people. They look like Jews. Jews like, uh, in the middle. Down. That's very cute. Yeah. Very yeah. cute. Yeah. So you can do it just on the table instead of uh, by the end of Pesach, my walls are falling apart. <laughs> and I've, they're 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 falling down, but it's fun. They it's actually something that they look forward to. Believe it or not. <laughs> um, we were we were joking. I had my kids. We had to go through the boys' room this past Sunday. So and my aunt was visiting from Cleveland. So she's like gotta love Pesach cleaning. So, wait, how, how, did, how did they say it? So, oh, shoot, wait. And then, oh, forget it. I don't remember. But it basically, it was like, my, my boys complain about, you know, they don't like to go through. But I actually found cereal in their room, not from them, but their kids that were in their room. I felt so great that, like, see, it was worth all the cleaning for that one Crispix that I found in your, you know, in your in the toy bench, but um, you know, so they, this is this is a part. The decorating, the, you know, the decorations is something that, that they look forward to. So why do we focus? Why are we? What's the story with the maror? What's the what's the soul? What's the deeper aspects of the maror? Why do we want to remember the bitterness? So we have to remember that we're built as people, as individuals, and also as a nation through hardships. Okay, it's not only the good times 
right, that make us into who we are, but it's also the, the, the times of trouble, the times of difficulty, the times of tribulation. Those are the things that, that build us. So Rav Shamshon Rafal Hirsch, when he talks about, who a, was a German uh, rabbi, he lived in the 1800s, and he was actually a very, his commentary is amazing, and since he wrote it in German, the, uh, the English is a translation just like the Hebrew is a translation, so you're, it's a very, um, it's accessible, it's an accessible translation since it's in English, and he, the way he writes, he was addressing the reform movement was coming into um, really taking hold and becoming a force, and he was responding to questions of, of modernity. And you, what his writing is, I feel, very, very relevant to our generation as well. So he speaks about the, the way a nation becomes a nation. Usually when a nation becomes a nation, it's because of geographical borders or um, you know, uh, someone who wants to coexist for common goals, right? We have America, it was like we had common goals, so we came to a new land, and like that was our mission. But, right, how did the Jewish people become a nation? We became a nation through hardship, through slavery, through being tortured, through being beaten. Okay, there was nothing natural, so to speak, wasn't there? Were, we didn't have a land, okay? We didn't have even a, 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 a mission at that point, necessarily. We were the descendants of Yaakov, but we didn't have the Torah. We didn't have a, a direct mission at that point. So that means, okay, that the hardships are what defined us and what gave us our identity as a Jewish nation. And the beauty of the maror is to realize that the pain is part and parcel of the joy. You know, the Right, if you're dieting or exercising, or you know, no pain, no gain. You know, you, you can't feel feel the benefits. You can't reap the benefits if you're not feeling a little bit of hardship. And even though we can say, right, we know 20, hindsight is 2020, right? Everything when you look back, you're able to say, yeah, that experience, that difficult experience, that's what gave me this perspective, which allowed me to do what I'm able to do today. So right, the maror is it doesn't stand on its own necessarily, but it's part of the bigger picture. And everybody has an Egypt, so to speak. Everybody has the difficulties that they have personally in their own lives. And, right, but the bitterness without any direction, that's bitter. But when you see the bitterness as part of a bigger picture, so then it becomes a springboard to freedom. Okay, then we have the korech. The korech is the sandwich. Okay, the, the Hillel sandwich, right? We, we actually say, right, that this is what, uh, when, we eat, when we eat the ikar, we say this is what Hillel did at the time that the temple stood. We say that, that phrase when we eat it. So we're going to break off two pieces of matzah, and inside we put the maror dipped in charosa. This time it's a little bit more charosa than the last time. And um, when we're having, Sorry. yeah. Why does that matter, like the amount of because this is now we actually want, like the, the, la, the previously the Mara, the Mara was the focus. Here, right, but we didn't want to make it, right, a completely, you know, bitter experience. But here, right now, we want to, we want to really combine these two experiences. We want to feel the sweetness and, and the Mara. We want to see it coming together with the big, in, in the bigger picture. So we will lean to the left when we eat the Korah, okay, as opposed to the Maror. Now, and really the idea of korech 
is just the idea of being able to see the bigger picture. It's being able to have the bird's eye view. To be able to, say, to look back and say, yes, now I can see you know, why, why it had to be that way. I can see why I had to go through that difficulty. I see how that built me into the person who I am today. We're able to do that tonight looking back as a nation, how this experience built us as a people. You know, I, I, um, when I teach brides, so oftentimes I'll, you know, I share a few stories that are, um, you know, illustrate the, um, you know, the, the challenges and the, the difficulties that women underwent in order to tovel in a mikvah, in order to dip in, in, a, in, in a mikvah, right? I mean, Russia has, like, the most... Uh, awesome stories, unfortunately, right? They say Russia is connected to Russia, right? They were evil. Um, and what people did, they didn't live in a city with a mikvah. They would have to travel for a few days without papers and to go into some underground hole, and they would be, always be scared that the KGB is behind, looking behind their shoulder. And, you know, they would have to... Um, I mean, the, the, the stories are endless. They, 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 they really don't stop. They don't stop. People put their, their own personal lives at risk to have a mikvah underground, okay, and, and to service the, the community. People were unbelievable self-sacrifice in order to keep this mitzvah. And oftentimes I hear stories. I hear stories from the Holocaust, and I hear all the stories that don't really, you know, engender feelings of happiness and satisfaction. It's like scary and hard, but at the same time, it makes me proud. It makes me proud to be associated with people who are so committed to the truth that this is what they're going to do no matter what. So even though it's difficult, and even though we have those times of difficulty, it still makes us proud. And we don't, we're not always gifted with, you know, hindsight is 20-20. We don't always see how all the pieces are, come together and fit together. We don't have that gift necessarily in this life. But, you know, in, in the end of days, we'll be able to see how everything had its meaning and had its purpose. So that's Korach. Then we have Shulchan Orech, right? We have the actual meal. And this is now where we have the festive meal. I don't know how much room you'll have for a real food at this point. Okay, I always have to remind myself every year, don't worry, no, you don't have to cook so much. No one's really eating at the, at the meal anyway. Um, but we are supposed to have a festive meal, right? It's, uh, it's, it's part of the, the celebration of the holiday. We should enjoy it, so make something that you enjoy. We start out by eating the egg, usually. Okay, we, we said the egg is on the Seder plate in commemoration of the Korban Chagiga, which was the, the sacrifice for the holiday. Since we, an egg is actually a symbol of mourning, I don't know if you guys went to uh, Sam after, after the funeral, but oftentimes when, after the, uh, uh, someone buries uh, a relative, right, if they're sitting Shiva, so the first thing they'll eat is an egg. Okay, it's a symbol of mourning. We mentioned before also, we eat it before Tisha B'Av. It's a symbol of mourning. So why are we eating it now? What? It's also lentils. Lentils. Fardim will have lentils, and Ashkenazim will have eggs. That's why Yaakov was making lentils, Lentils. too. Okay, very nice. Yeah, definitely. So um, what we're eating eating it here will start out because we don't have the temple, right? So there is some, right, this is a, it's representative representative of that. Um, and we'll dip it in the salt, the salt water. Um, okay. Why are we having the meal? Right? Why do we have to have a festive meal? Why isn't ritual and words enough? 
right, to, to commemorate, uh, you know, the, for, for the celebration to commemorate the exodus and everything that happened. Because we are physical beings and we're meant to actually uplift the physical. So we want to enjoy and appreciate the meal because this is an aspect that we also want, want to tap into. Then we have tzachun, okay, this is the, which means hidden. Um, this is the afikomen, okay, this is our dessert, right, we mentioned afikomen means dessert. Um, so um, we're actually supposed to have the afikomen if you're keeping track of the time. Uh, it should be before halachic midnight, right, before chatzot. Um, so we're supposed to be finished with the meal. doesn't mean you have to be finished with the seder, right? You could continue with the other things and you can talk afterwards, but you are supposed to, uh, if you can, have the um, afikomen before halachic midnight. And um, we're not supposed to eat anything afterwards. Okay, we will have the two cups, the remaining two cups, uh, after, um, right, when we bench and, well, when we say halal. But other than that, right, we're just this is supposed to be the last thing that we eat, and the afikomen represents the korban pesach, right? This is the this we don't obviously we don't have the korban pesach, um, but um, save save some room for the for the afikomen because you have to have the same amount, two thirds of a matzah. It's a lot of, a lot of a lot of matzah. So um, what's the idea? Yeah. What's the reason why we don't eat after it? So this is supposed to be like the taste that's left on our tongue, the taste of the Korban Pesach. Yeah, I mean, what, what it really rep- represents. So, yeah, I'm not sure. It could be that there's a um, deeper, you know, more significant answer, but pra- that, that's what I know. Yeah. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I, because I'm gluten, like I can't eat gluten, mm-hmm. does that count? They have gluten-free matzahs. Right, but is that, is that considered okay? Because I know yeah. that some people would say... No, okay, I'm not sure as far... No, but I no, it's not. They they. I think it's made from oats. Really? Because I've only seen potato. I'm not sure. I'm not. I haven't bought them, but I remember hearing from guests of mine. So I'm I'm I I don't know. Um, but I remember I had guests that would like order their gluten-free matzah from a place in Lakewood. Do you 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 have a? I mean, I can. I mean, I just usually buy the ones that they're gluten-free. Like uh, right. Normal. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that much about it. Right. Um, but I'm pretty sure that they have, like, real gluten-free matzah. Yeah, um, but I'm happy to look into it if you need. So, I don't know how many of you were involved in the afikomen process as a child, um, but this is something that is, uh, right, children are usually customarily involved in the afikomen. So right when we yachat when we broke when we broke the masa we would right eat, so some families the children hide it and the parents have to find it some families the adults hide it and the and the children have to find it but it's basically used as a bargaining tool okay once it's once it's found you have to have it right you have to eat it your seder can't finish without it. And uh, it's used as a as a bargaining tool, right? Oh well, you want this, you want the, to have this masa, you want this afikomen. Well, then give me right a bike, a puppy, a, you know, pick your pleasure. Okay, this is this is this is what uh, they can use it for extortion. So, why why do we involve the children? So the simple answer is because we want them to stay awake and we want to keep them involved and excited about the seder. I actually have, I, I heard, because again, I'm not creative, but I heard that uh, somebody in, um, on the West Coast did this, that they hired a policeman to come into, to knock on the door, like towards the end of the meal, 
and say like and like you play this whole like hey you know like there's been like a series of robberies in the neighborhood we just want to make sure everything's okay like we heard that there's like a problem with people hiding the like stealing the afikomen and like did this whole thing and I, I thought it was you know like makes it just makes the seder like fun and lively and you know something that that they'll remember um, but. Um, one of the big differences, so, so certainly one reason is because we want to keep the children engaged and awake. But another reason is because the difference between adults and children is that children aren't afraid to say they don't know, they don't know the answer. They don't know things, right? I, I always think it's so funny. I, remem I remember thinking about my parents I remember until like what grade I thought my parents knew everything. Like there was nothing I could ask them that they didn't know. And as a child, like the expectation, of course I don't know everything, like I'm just a kid. But as we become older, we tend to think more highly of ourselves and we think that we have the answers. And even our interpretations of events, we think to be the only way or the right way or, uh, you know, especially if you're talking about the political scene, like people are very like, hard line, like it's, it's my way, it's no other way, I can't see any other way. Like we're very stuck in our own thoughts and our own perspective. So children ask and they realize that they don't understand. So the idea here is that we can ask for whatever we want, okay? This is the time to just, even in your heart, in your, you know, in your minds, if you want, certainly you can speak it out, but like ask Hashem for whatever it is that you want. And I don't mean necessarily like a car or a house or a husband or whatever, you know, is on the, on the wish list. But what we ultimately want is, is a connection to Him, right? Connection to, to the Almighty. So this is the time to, to ask for that. Then we have um, Barech, right? We, we, ha we bench. Okay, we Savior uh, Katamazon, Grace After Meals, and um, we're, we have the third cup of wine over, um, over saying Grace, right, the Grace After Meals. And again, whenever we're drinking the wine, we're leaning to the left. So the, the theme of Birkat Hamazon comes from the word Barech, which is, right, Levarech, to bless. Ba barech is Bracha, is related to the word Brecha. Anyone speak Hebrew? A pool. A pool, okay? A pool or a reservoir. The idea of an overflow. If you look at the word barech, and you'll picture it if you can, right? So it's made, the, it's made up of a bet, a resh, and a chaf. Bet, in numer, its numerical value is two. two. Resh is... Anyone else? count that high. 200. And chaf... 20. is 20, okay? So it's 2, 220. They represent, right, they're all, they're, they're in, in the ones, in the tens, and in the hundreds, which is all we have in, the, in numerical equivalents, right? They represent more, right? It's not just 1, 10, and 100, but it's more. It's this idea of brecha, of overflow, of multiplicity, okay? We're tapping into the source of the infinite, Right? Hashem is infinite. He can do anything. He's all-powerful. So we want to take that, that confidence of, have, of being connected to the infinite and, and somehow tap into it and, and bring him into our daily lives. I think about sometimes, like, you know, usually at night when I'm tired and I'm cranky, like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get it all done tomorrow. Like, I feel very overwhelmed. But if you, if you 
I, the truth is, I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. So we have those days, like, I'm like, oh, no, there's just no way I could get every, all this done. And sometimes we don't get it all done. But I do know for myself that when I bring God into the picture... And I say, you know what, God? I can't do this all on my own, but with your help, <laughs> right, I could do a lot more. So when we're able to mindfully, consciously tap into the, the idea that I'm connected to the infinite, you will be able to feel br- bracha, which is really an overflow, feel right, that you're tapping into something more, something greater. Okay, then we have halal. We're almost there, two more steps. So hallel, or praise, right, is defined as praise. So we say hallel on Rosh Chodesh, we say it on the holidays, um, and we will have our fourth cup, right? We're now going to say the remainder of hallel. We started saying at the end of Magid, we said the first half, and now we're going to say the remainder of hallel, and we're going to finish the, the fourth cup. By the way, I didn't mention, right, that the four cups relate, just like the three masot relate to the patriarchs. So the four cups relate to the matriarchs, okay, the, the ima'ot. Um, there's a lot to say about that, uh, which is, could be a class on its own. Um, but very briefly, I'll just share a very, very short idea. Um, the, um, when we talk, right, Purim, we just had Purim, so when we know we talk about wine, so we say, nichnas yain, yotzei sod. When you drink wine, the secrets come out. Or we're able to tap into, we're able to access the more internal developed part of ourselves, or internally developed part of ourselves. I shouldn't say more developed necessarily, but internally developed part of ourselves. When we drink wine, okay, the, the idea is that we should be able to tap into that internal part. And women, specifically, relate or, or uh, represent the internal Okay, so we'll leave it at that. There's a lot more to say, but just for a, a quick, quick word about that. Um, so when we say halal, the idea of halal is thanking God. I actually, um, I don't know if all Spartan have this custom. You'll tell me if it's a Persian custom. But we actually say, um, I normally don't pray in, at night. I don't say the evening prayers. Um, in fact, I don't even say the afternoon prayers. Spartan only have to pray once a day. Um, so I usually just do shachri, um, but the but you say but we say halal right the night of the seder okay that night before while the men are in shul we say a full halal. I uh, say I go usually you actually pray and we say it. At, you say our beat. Yeah. Well, you go to shul right. Yeah, so they I, right I, then I, that, that that would make yeah. sense right. I don't go to shul because gotta. Stay home with uh, someone. <laughs> you say it before and then during the seder. And during the seder, okay. I don't know if Ashkenazim say it in shul at night. I'm not sure, right? But um, um, anyway, so what's the idea of halal? We're giving thanks, right, for everything, every single detail. And uh, you know, I'll connect it back to when we said Dayenu. Remember this? Uh, People usually like that song. In my house, we, I, we don't do the chorus of Dayanu. You can do the first chorus and the, for, for the first stanza and the last stanza. But right, we say Dayanu is die. It would have been enough, right? It would, but do we really mean it would have been enough if like you just took us out of Mitzrayim? But then what? Like we wouldn't have had the Torah. So what do we mean it would have been enough? What we mean is we're saying thank you. Like I'm so appreciative of this one act that you did. Even that would have been enough for me to say. 
thank you, this was amazing, you know, like, wow, this was awesome. So every single step, and I believe there's 15 in Dayenu as well, right, we say, even that would have been enough for me to say, thank you, this was awesome. I hear, I teach 18-year-olds, I think are, I don't know, there's a big difference between like 18 and this demographic, this age group. So right, there's a lot of complaining and you know unappreciate a lot of you know just not appreciating their homes and what they were given and anything. And I'm like, well, did your parents you know take care of you when you're sick? Did they put food on the table for you? Did they you know uh, you know sign you up for little league? Did they like think? Any of these things would have been enough. What are you complaining about already? You know, like so we we fo- tend to focus on such minutiae, things that are so insignificant, but we really should just be able to say thank you. Even that, even this alone would have been enough. So that's halal. And then we end with nirza. Nirza means it was accept- it's accepted. Okay, we, we hope that like our prayers were accepted. And this is actually right. I think this is the fun part. We sing a lot of songs. Um, but uh, right, we we end. Right, there's some people sing more songs, some people sing less songs, whatever it is. But we everyone usually ends with the song of Lashana Habaabi Rushalayim. Right, next year we should be in Jerusalem. So when we say Jerusalem, so we can look. There's many ways of looking at the word Yerushalayim. But one one way of looking is Ir Shalem is the city of peace. Okay, and the city of wholeness. So, when we say shalom, right, when we say a couple has shalom bayit, they have peace in the home, we don't mean just that, like, they're not throwing plates at each other, (laughs) you know, like, there's no conflict, you know, I mean, I think for modern day Israel, we just want a state of, like, non-conflict, but when we talk about the ideal of Yerushalayim, we're talking about a genuine harmony, right, a genuine a coming together, a common vision, something that you're able to to embrace. So Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, right, this idea of shalom, of completion, we want to feel complete in, in God's embrace. So, right, Yerushalayim is the metaphor for a perfect world or a perfect place or a perfect situation where everything is shalom, it's complete, it's whole, it's peaceful, it's good. Um... Now, why do we sing? I'll just end with this, this idea, right? Why do we sing? So the difference between words, between speech and, and song is vast. Whenever we speak words, and when I say song, I don't mean just singing words to a song. I mean like a tune, like a, a, right, the, the, the melody right, that, that's accompanied. <laughs> um, right, speech, words are limiting, right? If I say this is a table, so I've just limited, limited it to a table. It can't be a chair, can't be a bookshelf, right? It can't be a poster. It's a table, right? Speech gives definition and it's, it specifies, it makes it, it limits it, it gives it borders. But a song, right, goes beyond that. Okay, when we, the, the word actually mizmor comes from lizamer. Lizamer, the verb is to prune, right? To prune, to like get rid of the, the extraneous, right? Get rid of whatever's non-essential. So, right, we even see a uh, song is something that's used in, you know, 
certainly in other religions, you know, prolifically, right? I don't know if any of you have been to church or like church organs. My kids were actually, I just showed a trailer to one of my, my, my boys. Did you ever see August Rush? Such a good, right? So he just looked at the trailer and he didn't realize that, right, this, one of, did you see the movie ever? No, no one saw it? It's really, it's a, it's a really cool, it's an older movie. It's like 10 years old. I didn't realize. Is it a Lifetime movie? No, it was in the theaters. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's basically about this, mu- this child prodigy musician. Okay, it's a very, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting movie. Um, oh. Everything he sees, everything, everything that he experiences, he experiences in his mind through yeah. music. He's like constantly, like he's, he's a genius with music. So there's this one scene in this trailer that he saw where he goes into a church. My, now, Kiva didn't realize, he's like, oh, they have, my son, my, he's like, they have like a piano. I'm like, it's an organ, you know, they have a piano in church. He's like so foreign to my idea of like having an instrument in church, right? But we, you know, gospel and singing and, you know, you just like, it's, it's something that's used because it's the language of the soul, right? Music is something that can take you to a very deep spiritual place. So um, we end with the holiness of a song, taking us to a place that is beyond this realm, beyond the, the, the limited defining borders of who we are and what we see in this world. And some people even have the custom that when they're finished with the Seder to say, Shir Hashirim. Do you do that? I feel like Persians would do that. Okay, so some people say, <laughs> some people say Shir Hashirim. It's a little long to say. Okay, but that's the song of songs, right? We want to end with, right, the, the song. Right, the Mac Daddy song. Um, and I'll just uh, wish everybody a Chag Kasher V'Sameach. It should be an uplifting Pesach where we should really feel the, uh, the Hashem helping us and taking each of us out of our own personal Mitzrayim.